In the last eight months, nothing has been more popular on TechEmergence.com than our content about healthcare. It was finance for a little while, marketing for a little while, but healthcare has really started to take preeminence in terms of people finding us on search. If you go on Google and you type in AI in healthcare, AI in pharma, AI use cases, uh, AI in hospitals, you're going to see our articles on number one or two in Google search. And these, these articles are driving massive amounts of traffic, and there seems to be a real uptick and a real strong interest in AI applications in healthcare. It's really making me think about doing additional coverage about some of the exciting innovations there. If you go to techemergence.com, you click our drop down for industries and you click on healthcare, you'll see a lot of the really in-depth work that we've done examining the use cases in treating cancer, uh, leveraging deep learning, drug discovery, and all sorts of interesting applications in that space. This week, we're knuckling down to drug discovery again, and I'm always interested in the in the new applications of AI for drug discovery because I think the pharma world has less sort of regulatory hurdles to begin using data for patient benefit, even than hospitals, interestingly enough. It's a little bit of an easier business model, in my opinion, and I like to see what companies are doing there. This week, we interview Morley Aravamudin, who is the founder and CEO of Curative, which is Q-R-A-T-I-V, uh, which is a joint venture between his other company, Enference, and the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and Curative is, uh, you see the play on words there, Curative is working on uh, drug discovery by pulling together data from published research, from existing pharma research, and from patient genetic data to be able to coax out new opportunity areas to match drugs with patients or to find medical conditions that don't currently have a great drug match. Uh, so Murley walks us through how we're using NLP to draw from the academic literature, how the matching of the patient and the pharma data is pulled together to hopefully coax out new insights on how to treat folks. And Murley also sheds some light on what this might mean for the future of pharma and development in this space. Where is the data coming from? What are some of the innovations we're maybe more likely to see? What are we learning the most from right now in the healthcare field that's helping to inform these decisions? If you're interested in kind of those nuances of the future of healthcare, I think this will be a more than interesting interview. So without further ado, this is Murley with Curative here on AI and Industry. So, Morley, I wanted to get into initially sort of the current capabilities in this field of matching existing clinical and healthcare data to potential pharma possibilities. There's, you know, so much money to be made in pharma. There's so much opportunity for improving health. Talk us through uh, what's possible today in that domain in terms of finding opportunities and in existing information. Yes, thanks, Dan. So today, the set of data that is available for machines to look at has exponentially grown compared to even three, four, five years back because of cheap sequencing, genetic sequencing kind of data, coupled with the fact various digital sensors and so on and so forth have provided more and more clinical data. And given all of this diverse data sets, one coming from the clinic when a patient comes to the clinic uh, for a routine condition, various kinds of lab tests, blood measurements, those kinds of data would exist. But if a patient comes in for an acute condition, say cancer, there are a range of data from radiographic images, say in the case of cancer, or uh, what kind of chemotherapies that they went through and how their body reacted and so on and so forth. And going all the way to data sets 
that are completely preclinical in nature, where lab experiments on mice or lab experiments on test tubes, where we knew certain kinds of chemicals work certain ways. So when you have this diverse collection of data sets, the problem then becomes one of triangulation. How can you connect the dots of a certain drug is going to work well with a certain disease condition? Or it can work well with a disease condition only of certain genetic characteristics. So only a subset of population in having a certain cancer may react very well to a particular drug. So these kinds of connecting the dots was harder a few years back. In the modern techniques, modern AI techniques in the last three years has given new sets of tools that has built on top of the various machine learning techniques that happened in the last 10 years or so. And that enables us to make this triangulation question do in a more meaningful sense. And it is now possible for us to generate a set of hypotheses which is as a far higher likelihood of being correct without having to spend years on preclinical experiments. So the ability to essentially take lots of drugs and assets that have gone through some amount of preclinical or clinical testing, but make use of the other sets of data that we have and come up, come across some new piece of information and say, wow, so this particular drug now has a chance of being very effective for a different disease indication, which was never even envisaged by the original inventor of the drug. So got, that is absolutely possible today. Okay, cool. And and it it sounds like there's there's sort of you know from a business perspective, there's two different large aspects of this. Number one, you know, there might be a, a new opportunity for a fit for a drug or for a new drug or what have you, where there might be a large addressable market that could be kind of coaxed out through this kind of information. And then the other side is sort of making use of like as you had put it, you know, research that's already been done. You know, I have no idea what it costs over the ten years of getting a drug you know, tested and out into the market, you would have a much better idea than I. But I mean, this is millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? I mean, this is like... That's correct. Uh, so there is a controversial figure as to what this that money is, the per drug cost. Uh, for an approved drug, you could see estimates of a billion dollars. But that is based on how they include the cost of the failed drugs as well. But it's easier said and done. It's a, it, without loss of generality, you can assume it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I was going to say, it, <laughs> seems, it seems safe to assume. You know, we're talking 10 years, yes. so we're talking very, you know, high-priced equipment, high-priced professionals, lengthy processes. You know, I mean, anything that takes a decade in today's day and age, you know, we're, we're used to... Uh, you know, we're used to apps with names like Instagram, right? We don't like waiting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's and and that's a lot of professionals waiting that amount of time. So that there's also kind of an, an ability to to kind of make up for maybe previous research. As as you and I were talking off microphone, you were talking about how sometimes five years into that ten year process, you know, something will have to be stopped. Sometimes for regulatory reasons, sometimes for whatever, maybe patent reasons or, you know, some change of direction of the company or whatever the case may be. But it would seem a shame if that same information couldn't be mined, couldn't be leveraged, and maybe couldn't be used to find a new opportunity or a new drug match that would still be fruitful. So uh, kind of making use of the previous work in maybe a way that's not possible. So there seems to be kind of both efficiencies and new revenue that are both sort of part of the, the potential business facet here. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget the patient. 
the patients who today may not even have any possibility of a drug that to treat them now for them it's a godsend right the fact that it is uh, yes there is uh, as a from a purely commercial perspective there is a possibility of us making lot of revenue or whoever it is doing this process making lot of revenue uh, what i find particularly fascinating and helpful is the fact that enormous amount of human work that has been done in the past we could leverage in turn to save human lives or to improve human life in some form or other which is to me as important as the fact it can commercially make money yeah and there's uh there is kind of that that aspect of the healthcare field i think healthcare and finance you know get a lot of the venture money in in this ai domain in part because there's just a tremendous amount of information kicking around but healthcare there's so many issues with accessing that information but i think also in part because of kind of the noble aim of hey what if new patterns could be found to you know the the colloquial beat up example is you know to cure cancer right and it, it doesn't have to be cancer of course it could be any condition that people are suffering with if we could find a treatment to to some kind of condition you know isn't that a noble thing in and of itself and clearly being able to find new ones would be and that's obviously part of what you guys are working on i'm interested in how some of this works so this is you know reasonably you know large amounts of information here from various clinical trials and all sorts of uh potential patient data and and information about uh patients and whatnot uh and and about past research and whatever else to be able to sort of find the the overlaps or the gaps or the opportunities within all of that you know why why is ai necessary and what is its role in that process why is it critical to kind of taking that making that a reality i should say in in your in your words yeah sure so if you look at the number of people who are writing papers in the areas of genetic areas of biomedicine compared to 20 years back say mid 90s to now that number literally has exponentially increased so on every day hmm. uh, uh, if you look at the number of new papers that come out that number is dramatically in the hundreds uh, compared to what was one paper a day kind of uh, number yeah. so conferences if you look at different diseases doc physicians specialize in different conferences and then they go to different conferences in the past 20 years back there might have been in the entire conference 100 to 200 papers presented by different physician scientists now a single conference like american society of clinical oncology asco has 35000 abstracts think about it one conference has 35000 abstracts so it is yeah. just not feasible for human beings to grasp no individual human being even though however great our mind is our brain is it is not possible for us to consume that kind of data in a single human brain so yep. this is the reason why ai is coming into play the fact that you have enormous amounts of this data and can the machines find certain patterns and synthesize all this knowledge that can be more easily consumed by the human being that who wants to consume it and so just just for clarity there because I, i i imagine the audience is wondering this you know i had thought about the present application that you folks are working on as looking at research data maybe from pharma companies and from Mayo Clinic and from patient information i wasn't thinking about this as pulling in from academic uh literature as well is this part of the mix oh, in it, some it, way 
or it is in fact the, not just part of the mix that is the fundamental mix fundamental well, that, platform that, that's that's interesting because i mean i could see how you know if we have all this genetic information about patients and really deep you know blood sampling stuff and dna stuff and whatever else and and then we have information about chemicals and pharma and whatnot i could see some sort of you know overlaps being found quite literally within the the data itself if we know what we're looking for with with academic literature we're looking now at like natural language processing and trying to find you know correlations maybe between words and terms and chemicals that might sort of be creating a pattern that would be worth looking at um, uh, absolutely that's uh, that, you, you you nailed it on the head it's what happens is when you ask a question about a disease which is be a phrase so there is a disease called non small cell lung cancer which looks like five words right but yeah. that is a phrase but yeah. you can ask yeah, yeah. what what genes are associated with this phrase non small cell lung cancer or what drugs are associated when you ask these kinds of questions right you find very interesting similarity patterns between diseases and genes diseases and drugs and various other kinds of what biologists call phenotypes and that is one kind of a signal we call it the semantic signal we then use the semantic signal and see the does the semantic signal do we have support for that from the clinical data from the genetic data that's how the triangulation process happens ah okay got it so th- this will be good and i think we can kind of clarify this conceptually one of my core jobs uh for this podcast knowing that we have a a business audience that cares a lot about how these technologies are moving forward is to sort of paint a mental picture in their head. They're listening to this on their commute or while they're jogging or whatever. And I want them to be able to kind of see what, a, you know, someone like you gets to see when they're working through these technologies and making them work. It, it seems as though, you know, you have to possibly define a problem and then maybe define the relevant terms that might relate to that phrases, whatever. And that, that'll sort of prime kind of the the NLP side of of looking at the academic literature and and then we've also got to have an understanding of what the the chemical sort of traces of whatever this condition might look like in a person or in a drug and sort of you know see see what we want to sort of match for and what we want to cluster for within the drug side of things and within the patient side of things and so in my mind I'm seeing a triangle of you know research papers patient data and then maybe more pharmacological data and once we have our terms defined, we can then start to see where the overlaps are and if, if there's any kind of large gaps and that humans are sort of doing the, the thinking and the priming ahead of time. It, am I on or am I off in terms of sort of what's being lined up and run here? Uh, you are uh, right on most of the uh, process, right? So humans have to initiate the process, right? The machine is not suddenly going to know we are interested in curing neurological disease called yep. multiple sclerosis right so we have <laughs> yeah. to start so it's clearly right but once we start what happens is in this process it tends to be very iterative so the machine will give you some surprising insights and the surprising insights so in the mayo clinic like setting we actually share some of the shortlisted things with uh, physician scientists and those guys then say wow what uh, now they kind of refine the query if you will right uh, adding new sets of terms and so on so this iterative process between machine and uh, people is how ultimately the final process of wow here are the final four drugs which has a capability to cure 
a particular disease with certain genetic characteristics happen. Definitely. And, and uh, well, he, here's one reason I'm really glad that you actually brought that up is because, you know, oftentimes when people are selling an AI tool that other companies have to use, they, you know, consciously or subconsciously have to explain it in a way that makes it seem very, very simple. And very, very simple to use. I think in, in your case, fortunately, you know, licensing and or working with kind of big pharma companies would be more of the game. From what I gather, you know, you're not selling a software that, that does this more, more that you guys are actually doing the, the crunching yourself. And so maybe you're, you're, you're less likely to want to explain it like a push button magic thing, which I, I, I always push back on because nothing's like that. And you're talking about the truth of data science and how this stuff works that, you're going to come up with some initial hypotheses and run it and see what does the system see in terms of overlap? What does the system see in terms of potential relatedness? And then you're going to have to generate new ideas and you're going to have to coax out, okay, is that a rabbit hole worth running down? Is this a new branch of kind of academic literature that we might want to pull into this and see if there's some some correlations over here? So there's kind of, it seems like there's, you know, initial hypotheses, tweaks and testing among these three sets of data, additional adjusting, tweaks and testing between these sets of data. And what the machine does, tell me if I'm wrong, it sort of brings forth what you ask it to bring forth and maybe finds the overlaps and underlying sort of connections and correlations between data that would be far too much for a human to manually label in a spreadsheet and to do that very quickly. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. By the way, and, uh, in fact, that also you used a word which is a very interesting word. One of the reasons why in the last few years we have been able to do this and not before only in the last few years is because we used a technique we use a technique called unsupervised training where millions and millions of these documents are being consumed by the machine without unlike the image recognition where we label something as a cat and we say that's a cat and this is a dog we don't have labels here so that unsupervised training is what makes this even feasible for us to even tell what is the incipient connections from the data directly, right? What does the data teach us? And that is the reason why in that iterative process, the all the machines can do is to tell the initial incipient associations, but then the human has to help and yep. do this process together. Got it. And, and yeah, just for the folks tuned in, there, there are some good resources if you Google, you know, the difference between supervised and unsupervised learning. We have a, a definition of machine learning article that, uh, tries to go into some of those basic details. But yeah, essentially what you're talking about, um, really is instead of someone having to go in and maybe, you know, come up with some new manual human label for any patient data that meets a certain criteria, um, this is a system that can kind of cluster things within a related pattern without a person having to say, ooh, this exact thing with this tag, and I'm going to go ahead and tag all of it for you. The, the machine will sort of know what it's looking for and be able to coax out and find those patterns uh, itself without a person having to name things and identify things. That's correct. Got it. Cool. So that, that's just a good understanding for the folks uh, at home who might not be familiar with the term. So great. So I have an understanding now. You use the word triangulation. I think people in their mind hopefully have a decent idea of how this works. Uh, data science is hard, folks. If, if it wasn't, then uh, everybody and their mother would have a company like what Murley is doing and uh, would be you know, making a lot of money and solving important patient problems. This stuff is challenging. Um, and I'm glad uh, that we were able to get a good explanation. Last thing I wanted to touch on uh, is a little bit of what you're most excited about for future promise. You know, we talked a bit about what's possible today. Clearly, some of this is new. You know, the organization you're with at the time of this recording 
you know, six months old or so. So there's a lot, still a lot to be done, but clearly a very, very exciting field. And you must be pretty darn eager about the future. Um, in terms of the big low hanging fruit in the next, you know, half decade ahead or so, what are you most excited about for this kind of technology? So far as the way we say is uh, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> so we really have to make these insights from strong hypothesis to medicines that work in human beings. Yeah. So what I'm excited about is uh, the possibility of uh, advancing few uh, drugs into the clinic and being really helpful to human beings in that particular fashion. And while that is different mission in uh, certain things, there is an underlying notion of improving unsupervised training. And that is a very hard problem. So we have several, I would say, uh, five to 10 years of work to do in unsupervised training where when we do this iterative process, can we uh, limit the human being's involvement as much as possible? So we are not there yet. So those are kinds of the improvements that we would continue to refine the technology for. But ultimately, it's all about can we really help bring more drugs to people who really need it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, clearly that's the the utilitarian benefit, or the, at least the low hanging fruit utilitarian benefit, if if we could be so bold as to to hypothesize that. Um, and and also clearly, it's pretty critical for the business. I mean, hey, if no one at the very end of the game here is benefiting, I mean, what the heck are we doing? You know, how how are we going to keep everybody? Uh, how are we going to keep the gears turning? But yes, clearly, you know, curing curing challenging diseases very very important work. Um, are there domains and also moving forward on unsupervised learning, which is its, its own very tough technical problem, which I, I know you guys are going to be grappling with a lot, which should be exciting to see too. Um, are there domains, you know, uh, within sort of medicine that, or within pharma that maybe you're more excited about uh, than others, certain kinds of conditions that tend to be challenging when humans try to manually find patterns that you you think might be more likely than others, you know, areas where you've already seen interest from from pharma companies, you know, maybe it's neurological conditions or something, or is it really sort of all the same white canvas right now? There's, it's it's tough to maybe say what areas will will unearth the yeah. opportunities. So we, I know we can we could give what some rough rough idea of that. Oncology cancer is the place where we have the most data to date Good. because of various government funded efforts called TCGA, where over ten thousand people's tumors have been genetically sequenced and so on. So, but one of the key things that we say is the notion of precision medicine, a drug for a particular genetic cohort, need not be constrained to uh, oncology. So we view uh, immune system as an integral part in almost many disease conditions. And many of the immune system diseases turns out to have a lot with signals that emerge from oncology data sets. So we are very excited about applying those kinds of immune system signals to, uh, that is bringing precision to say, precision neuro, precision neurology or precision ophthalmology. You could think of various such conditions, which all of them can benefit from precision medicine, not just oncology. Good to know. So just to try to clarify that, it sounds like you know, in terms of where is the breadth of data that's been collected, there have been government initiatives 
uh, it sounds like, to, to really knuckle down on cancers, which clearly, I mean, they're right up there in terms of, you know, mortality for, you know, Americans and, and much of the, the first world and people in general. But it sounds as though there, there's been really ardent efforts to adamantly collect information there, particularly genetic information, but that, you know, what we see as tracers and ties to, you know, genetic footprint and to uh, the immune system in general can potentially be extrapolated. So the, the insights might have sort of been unearthed for the sake of cancer, but there's ways to, to tug and to pull and to find ties and meaning in that information that might spill out into other areas and, and create some benefit. That's absolutely correct. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good for people to know. I think it's interesting. People want to know, hey, you know, well, where, where's the progress being made? Where's the information coming from? You know, what, what kinds of uh, opportunities can we leverage? And it sounds like, thank goodness for those government initiatives, because that gives you guys a lot of raw material to hopefully go out and do some darn good. So that's excellent. Um, and and that, that paints the full picture for us here, Morali. I know we're right up on time, but I, we got to get through our last question, which I was excited to hear about your future perspective. I sincerely appreciate you sharing your insights with the audience here at AI and Industry. So thanks so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.